All right. Well, we're um, looking. Uh, our theme for this year is lighten up, and uh, that theme uh, comes to us, or that that statement, lighten up, comes to us on many many different levels. Um, one is we need to lighten up and stop being so serious about life. Wouldn't you agree? Yep. Uh, lighten up. Some of us need to lose a little bit of weight, look after our health. Wouldn't we agree? Yep. Um, uh, some of us need to lighten up um, spiritually. Um, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is And so we need to kind of get rid of some of the things that hold us down, weigh us down. And that's what we uh, did last week is we, uh, we, we have a rhythm in the life of our community here and we're currently uh, doing a couple of weeks on Christian basics. And we're, we're looking at some of the foundational things that are actually um, absolutely imperative or necessary for us to grow and mature in our faith. You know, you can have a fantastic, um, um, you know, multi-million dollar house, but if the foundations aren't right, what happens to that building after a while? It's going to crumble, it's going to fall. And many, many people, many people within the church are building great-looking lives, but their foundations aren't necessarily secure and in place. And after 30-something years of ministry, um, it's my conviction that most uh, Christians struggle because they fail to have really good foundations in place. And so um, during this little kind of um, part of our rhythm, uh, we're going to spend two weeks, last week and this week, looking at um, the difference between law and grace. So I'm going to test you this morning. For those of you who have been here before, what does the word righteousness mean in Pidgin English? Let's try that again. The Pidgin English uh, word for righteousness is? Okay, all right, all right. Not too, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, the Pidgin, Pidgin English uh, for the word uh, righteous or righteousness is God, he say me, all right. And um, it's so important that we understand that God, he say, me all right. And we need to understand what the basis of our right standing, of our righteousness before God is. You see, we live in a world that is based um, on a system of um, assessment, of critique and uh, reward. So, for example, when I was at school, uh, we would uh, be graded from A to F in each one of our subjects. Is that how you, was that what it was like for you? And, you know, you'd get your report card and um, you would see, you know, whether, where you kind of fit on, on, on the scale. Uh, if we performed well in sport, we would uh, get, a, get a prize. My wife, Louise, um, has, um, has um, two of these, actually. And um, this, uh, two of these uh, things contain all of her badges from, I don't know, from dancing or from whatever it is um, that um, she was doing when she was a young girl. So she's got two of these. Um, when it came to my awards, my achievements, um, I didn't have any. And so what we did was uh, we tacked two things on the end of Louise's thing just to kind of humour me a little bit. One was I went to um, Rotary twice and uh, they gave me a badge. <laughs> so I thought, we'll pop that on because that's something of an achievement. And then the other thing is um, somebody gave me a, uh, a business card 
My name is Stephen Sutton, and this person here, his name is Stephen Sutton. We just don't happen to be the same person. This guy here is a Latin American uh, dance instructor. <laughs> and so I kind of thought, well, nobody will ever really know, so they're, they're my two achievements. I went to Rotary twice, and I'm a Latin American uh, a dance instructor. I'm not saying that, um, that uh, rewarding people for performances are either good nor bad. Um, the problem is, is when we overlay um, uh, uh, a performance-based system or mindset upon our relationship with God, and we end up thinking that our righteousness, our right standing, or God, he say me, all right, is on the basis of reward. It's an achievement. It's remuneration for our self-effort. That somehow we have managed um, to earn or merit God's acceptance and approval by what we do. And we look at our spiritual report card and we see how we're doing. You know, are we an A, B, C, D, E or F grade Christian? The ancient uh, Egyptians believed that when they died, they would be judged on their behaviour during their lifetime before they could be granted a place in the afterlife. And the Egyptians believed that when they died, there was a judgment cer ceremony called uh, the weighing of the heart, that um, a deity in the afterlife would weigh their good works. Um, um, our Muslim friends, and we've got a feel for the Muslim uh, community at the moment. It's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. And um, what can we say other than I'm, I, I, I looked um, a couple of days uh, yesterday for uh, the local mosque just to contact um, somebody on the peninsula here who represents the Muslim community, as I did with the, the Catholic uh, priest here in Rosebud when all of the things with uh, Cardinal George Pell happened, just to uh, make contact and express our community's um, um, solidarity with them in these uh, challenging and difficult times. But... Uh, Muslims have a very similar uh, belief uh, to the weighing of the heart, and they call it the scale of deeds. And Muslims believe that after de death, Allah weighs a person's works. And according to Islam, every person has merits and sins. And a person whose merits exceed their sins, they are declared righteous. God, he say me all right. But if a person's sins exceed their merits that person is declared unrighteous. God, he say, me not all right. And the tragedy of Christianity is there are so many Christians still operating out of this paradigm that they're believing that when they die, they will face a wane of the heart ceremony or they will meet a God with a scale of deeds. And they're just desperately hoping that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds. But I've got good news for you this morning. Each and every one of us who have called upon the person of Jesus, our names are already written in the Lamb's book of life. We're in. We're righteous. And it's not based on um, whether our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds or not. We are saved completely, wholly and totally through and by 
the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Do I have another amen? amen? Good, good. We're awake this morning. You see, the problem with a, a, a performance-based righteousness system is we never know for sure if we have done enough. Have I been a good enough Christian? Have I prayed enough, given enough, attended church enough, been kind enough, read my Bible enough? Was my doctrine and theology sound enough? According to some of you here, the answer to that is no. That's okay, because I'm not saved, I'm not righteous, because I ha have sound theology, thankfully. Do you know there are 39,000, listen to this, there are 39,000 Christian denominations in the world. Do you belong to the right one? Hey, we've got a 1 in 39,000 chance of being right. And it's not that sound doctrine, good theology aren't important. Of course, of course they are. But we're not declared righteous on that basis, thankfully. You know, this righteousness-based performance, self-effort, earn, merit it um, sort of approach um, to uh, Christianity, it's exhausting and it's exacting. And if the truth were told, it's ego-driven because it's I-centred. It's all about what I do, how much I pray, how well I believe, how much I read my Bible. And so many Christians are still operating out of that kind of paradigm. You see, righteousness is not a reward, it is received. It is a gift we are giving, given um, for believing what Christ has already done for us. And that is the message of grace. There are two kinds of Christians. We are either a do Christian, that is, we are trying to earn and keep our right standing with God through self-effort on the basis of what we do. Or we are a done Christian. That is, our right standing rests wholly and solely on what God has done, done for us through Christ. There are only two kinds of Christians here this morning. You're either a do Christian or a done Christian. You have an operating default system or theology or frame of reference from which you operate. And it's either do or done. And if you're a do kind of Christian, I want to shift you into becoming a done kind of Christian. Because being a do, a doer, our, our daughter Chloe, uh, when she was little, we were talking to her about this one day, explaining to her the difference between Christianity and religion. You know, religion is all about do, 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 and Christianity is all about done, done, done. And she goes, oh, daddy, that's why they call them Hindus. Well, it was very good. <laughs> Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right, since God, he say me all right, by faith we have peace with God because of what we have done? No, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done 
for us. That's it. That's where righteousness comes from. It's because of what Christ has done for us. I've got to give credit to Mike for this lovely story which he shared with me during the week. It's about a priest who had a dream. And he dreamt that he had died and was trying to enter heaven. And when he approached the pearly gates, St. Peter told him he needed 100 points to get in. Proudly, the minister said, Well, I was a priest for 43 years. Fine, said St. Peter, that's worth one point. (laughs) One point? Is that all? cried the priest. Yes, that's it, said St. Peter. Well, said the priest, well, I also visited the sick. St. Peter responded, well, that's worth one point. I worked with young people, said the priest. Well, that's worth one point. I fed the poor, said the priest. And again, St. Peter responded with, that's worth one point too. St. Peter said to this priest, you have four points now. You need 96 more. And the priest said, oh no, I feel so helpless and so inadequate Except for the grace of God, I don't stand a chance. And St. Peter smiled and said, The grace of God, that counts for 96 points. Come on in. What a great story. Some of you um, last Sunday were concerned that I made grace sound like you never had to do anything to be right with God. In fact, you thought I was kind of hinting that the grace of God was like a license to sin. It was a permission to sin. I know that's what some of you thought. I was saying, you know what? You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. We're just righteous on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And therefore, it doesn't matter how we live. Can I say that I'm actually in really, really good company? And I I heard this when I was a very new Christian um, by one of my favourite Bible teachers, a guy by the name of of Malcolm Smith. And Malcolm Smith said, you've got to so preach the grace of God that it sounds like people can sin like the devil and still be accepted by God. And he says the basis of that is Romans chapter 6. And, uh, and verses um, uh, 1 and 2. Paul uh, was writing to the church in Rome, Rome and he was responding to some of their questions and some of their concerns. And he said, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? The same accusation that was not an accusation or, I guess, a a concern that some people had was I was saying, you know what, you can just sin and you get away with it because all the grace of God does is just uh, allows you to get away with that and you don't um, have to worry about it. And you know what um, Paul's response to that thing was? Of course not. Don't be so silly. Of course not. I know it sounds that way, but of course not. Of course we keep the rules. 
and obey the rituals. But it's a question of from and for. From what place do we keep the rules? And for what purpose do we keep the rules and fulfill the rituals? For, from, from and for. From and for. See, we keep the rules and the rituals from a place of right standing with God. We live right from a place of standing right. You don't get right standing by right living. You live right because you understand that you already have been given right standing with God. And we live into our identity as someone who is already righteous. Do you get that? Because when you get that, it changes everything. It changes everything. Everything changes. I am not earning through my effort, through my Bible reading, through my prayers, through my church attendance, through my generosity to gain righteousness. But I do those things because I already have right standing with God. You see, our right standing is not something we are trying to get. It's something we've already got. You know, do or done, get or got. Only two kind of Christians. Those who are operating from a, a system where it's based on do or done or get or got. I'm trying to get God to love me. Get God to approve me. Get God to tick my report card. Or I've got an A+. And we keep the rules from a place of love. For those of you who are blessed to be in a, an intimate relationship with someone, you, you will understand this. You see, I love my wife, so I serve her. Almost every morning, I, I make her coffee. Almost every morning, I know all you women now want me to divorce her and marry you, don't you? <laughs> you know? I get up and I make her coffee and I make her breakfast. Why? I love her. There's no rule that I've read that tells me that I should need to obey this rule of making a coffee. And make, I do it because I love her. I'm faithful to my wife. Why? Because there's some rule that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. No. I'm faithful to my wife because I love her, not because I'm submitting to some law. Do you get that? You get that? Why do we obey God and do the things that the Bible asks us to do? Is it because of law or is it because of love? Do you read your Bible because you love God or because it's a rule? 
You might do the same thing, but it's coming from a completely different place. So there is do and done, get and got. There is law or love. And there is I wanna and I gotta. I wanna serve my wife breakfast. I don't gotta. I wanna. Great English. So till I failed English, can't you? <laughs> and we keep the rules and rituals for the purpose of facilitating the life of God that is already within us. There's a river of life in you. It's the life of it's the spirit of God. It's the life of God. And when I pray, and when you pray, when you read your Bible, when you um, give, when you uh, fellowship with other believers, when you share your faith, you know what that does? You're not doing it when you're not doing it from a place of gotta. What it does is it releases and facilitates the life of God that's already indwelling. The wonderful thing about grace, and this was one of the first um, Bible verses that I memorized as a, as a new Christian, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. As a brand new Christian, I heard that being taught and I realised that the secret to transformation and living the holy life was actually based on grace, not law. It's grace that teaches us to say no. It's grace that teaches us to say yes to the right kind of things. And I can tell you with absolute authority, if you do not get this, um, you know, it's like having um, the wheels on your car that are unbalanced. Your faith will shake. Your faith will shake and you'll veer to the left and you'll veer to the right. This is so important. And this is what can happen when we live from a place of law rather than love, from do rather than done, from get rather than from got, from um, have, have to rather than want to. One of the highlights of, of my ministry, I've been in ministry for 30-something years, and one of the highlights of my ministry experience to date was when we were uh, ministering in uh, the city of Newcastle in New South Wales. And I was only, a, I was a new, new, new kid on the block and just new in ministry, but I felt kind of this thing of wanted to draw together all of the church leaders in, in our area. And so um, I contacted someone and together we began 
a, a breakfast every fortnight where uh, about 70 uh, le- uh, pastors and leaders from across the do- denominational spectrum would get together uh, for brekkie. No agenda other than to eat, to pray together, and hear one another's stories. And it was absolutely fantastic. And um, there was a guy one, one particular breakfast by the name of uh, Paul uh, who turned up with his wife, Linda. And everybody kind of knew Paul, or knew of him, but he was uh, one, he had the largest church in the city. Um, so none of the other pastors liked him because <laughs> we're all jealous. Um, but he also uh, led a church that was a little bit different to everybody else. In fact, we would probably say it was not a church, it was a cult. And uh, so one morning, Paul and his beautiful wife, Linda, turn up uh, for breakfast. And they believed some really interesting things or had believed some really interesting things. They believed that um, Britain was one of the lost tribes of Israel. I kind of agree with that, being British myself, but... Uh, <laughs> They also believed that unless you spoke in, in tongues, now for those who don't know, tongues is a, a prayer language that some of us, perhaps many of us here in this room, um, might, might utilise. Um, but their belief was that unless you spoke in tongues, uh, you could not be a Christian. Uh, we don't uh, believe that, but this particular group, it was a prerequisite. You must speak in tongues um, before you become a Christian. Uh, this church, uh, all of the leaders were highly controlling. Um, they had kind of an unwritten rule that you were only allowed to have two children because if you had more than two kids, it would stop you from being able to uh, engage in, in ministry and serve the church. Uh, women weren't allowed to preach until the day I got an invite. And uh, I didn't feel like preaching that day, so I said to Louise, Louise, why don't you preach tonight there? And she did. And I didn't realise what I'd done, but um, Louise was the first person broke the mould in that church. Um, also the women, some of the women used to wear head coverings. Um, there were lots of rules, incredibly rigid and regulated. When you met somebody from this particular congregation, it was like they were all singing from the same script. Some people know this kind of church, kind of what, what it's like. Um, There were lots of meetings to attend, so you had very little free time for family or for social life. Everything was disciplined, ordered, and structured to the nth degree. And so for this group of uh, well-intentioned Christians, salvation, being right with God, was earned through self-effort. And so their form of Christianity was very much based on keeping the rules and doing the right thing. And last Sunday I mentioned um, the Pharisees who were the religious elite of Jesus' day. And they were known as the serious ones and the separated ones. Well, this particular church was uh, an ex- a prime example of modern day Phariseeism. They were separated from, they were superior to everybody else and uh, very serious about their faith. But this beautiful couple, Paul and Linda, had been challenged by God. And they began to realise that they actually needed to break away from their denomination. 
um, that they needed to embrace a more mainstream understanding of the Bible, to let go of some of those things like speaking in tongues was a prerequisite to salvation and Britain was the, the lost tribe of Israel, all those really good, solid truths that we need to build our lives on. That they needed to become a, a healthier and more inclusive church. And they realised that if they weren't a cult, they were certainly cult-like. And they repented and um, invited um, other, other pastors and leaders within the city to get alongside of them and help them in their church go on a journey of transformation. Sounds great, doesn't it? And it was fantastic for about 12 months. The church was doing really well. Um, but then cracks began to appear in people's lives, in people's families, and in people's marriages. You see, the restraints that this group of people had lived under were being lifted, were being alleviated. And as those restraints, as that law was being lifted on them, what happened was all kinds of immorality began to surface. Some of their key leaders um, began to use drugs. Um, these once very, very, very holy people, their lives, their marriages, their families began to come apart. And it was an absolute shock to see what took place in, a, in a quite a short period of time. And our question was, what on earth is happening here? I was reminded of a story that I'd heard as a, as a again, as a very new Christian, of a, again by Malcolm Smith, my favourite Bible teachers. And he tells the story of um, the dog on the veranda. And every day that the, um, the, the postman came along, this dog would run off the veranda, across uh, the front yard, and would go and bite the postman's leg. This happened quite a number of times, and so the, um, the owner of the dog thought, I need to do something with this dog. And so he got that, that dog, and he put a muzzle on it, and he tied it to the fence of the veranda. And so every time the, um, the postman drove past, that dog no longer bit the postman's leg. But boy, did it want to. But boy, did it want to. You see, the word religion means to bind or to tie. And when Christianity is at its best, what it does is it binds us to God. It ties us and unites us to the divine. And when we are bound to God and our, heart, our hearts are transformed, we come alive with the very life of God and we take on God-likeness or godliness. But when religion or Christianity is at its worst, all it can succeed in doing is binding us and muzzling us to rules and regulations that make us look good on the inside, look like we're doing the right thing. We're not biting the postman's leg, but boy, do we want to. 
And here was this church of hundreds and hundreds of people who on the outside looked like they were living good, holy, upright, moral lives. But all they had been provided with was the muzzle of the law, a list of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. And when that law was lifted, hell broke loose. And the reality was their heart had not been changed. And to this day, it's still one of the greatest, most profound tragedies I've ever witnessed. That church no longer exists today. Multi, multi, multi-million dollar uh, facilities. Hundreds and hundreds and hu- biggest church in Newcastle, hundreds of people. Doesn't exist today because they were focused in on doing and they did not understand and were unable to grasp what Christ had done for them. So my question to you today is, what kind of Christian do you want to be? You have a choice. Do, done, get, got, law, love, gotta, Wanna, law, or grace? If you want a muzzle and a chain, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Plenty of places will provide you with a muzzle and chain. It's far harder to kind of trust the Spirit of God to be at work in people's lives and transforming their hearts than giving them rules and regulations. It's simple. In fact, we saw in Newcastle you could build the biggest church with the biggest building by giving people muzzles and chains. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't come to naught in this world, it will come to naught in the next. I beg of you, choose done over do. Choose got over get. Choose love over law. Choose wanna over gotta. Would you do that for me? Amen. This is this is so so important. I will I will give if if this is still a struggle for you, I will give my time. I will sit down, I'll have coffee with you. I'll start a small group. Whatever I can do to help you get this fundamental basic truth into your hearts and lives 
because I tell you, if you don't get this right, your, your faith shakes. It's out of balance and it does not work. It cannot work. It was not designed. This is not the way that God meant it to be. And I will do whatever I can to help you make that transition into that done, into that done realm of faith. It's that important. So come see me, email me, call me, whatever you need to do, and I will, I will make it a priority. I'll give you tapes, I'll, I'll, whatever. It's so important, believe me. Amen. Why don't we stand and let's uh, close. Just we won't sing a song this morning. Um, let's close with a, with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that in the frailty of my communication this morning that your word would have um, resonated with the hearts and lives today and um, God, somehow your spirit would have massaged truth. God, that would, would have been a... a seed of grace sown that would help people. Lord, help us as a church uh, to be a muzzle-free and chain-free people. That, Lord, our hearts could be transformed by your spirit, by your grace. And that, God, all of us would be able to say with the deepest of conviction, God, he say, be all right. In your precious name we pray.